Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. Parkinson's disease, or Parkinson's disease, is the second most common degenerative brain disorder after Alzheimer's disease. An estimated 1 million Americans are living with Parkinson's disease today. Chances are good you know someone who has it. In today's episode of Move Forward Radio, which coincides with the National Parkinson Foundation's Parkinson's Awareness Month, physical therapist Terry Ellis outlines Parkinson's disease and its symptoms and highlights the crucial importance of physical activity for those with the disease. The cause of Parkinson's disease is not yet known, but as Ellis describes in our interview, studies suggest that physical activity in the early stages after diagnosis can have a profound effect on the symptoms and side effects of the disease. As always, input from our guests is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. With that, here's our interview with Terry Ellis. Terry, an estimated 1 million Americans are living with Parkinson's disease. Before we talk about its effects, first of all, just what is Parkinson's disease and what causes it? So Parkinson's disease is a disease in which the neurons in a specific area of the brain, the midbrain area, or more specifically the substantia nigra, they die off over time. So it's a progressive degenerative disease in which these cells They die slowly over a long period of time. And the cause of Parkinson's disease is unknown. And there are some theories that it might be partially due to genetic mutations or several genetic mutations in combination with exposure to certain environmental toxins. But most people don't have known genetic mutation, and there's no particular environmental toxins that are known to cause Parkinson's disease. So... Although it's probably likely that some interaction between many of these factors, the specific cause is really unknown. So that said, are there certain individuals who seem more likely to develop Parkinson, whether we know why or why not? Well, there are certain things that are thought to be more protective of Parkinson's, things like, for example, smoking. For some reason, nicotine is thought to be protective against Parkinson's, not that we want people to smoke because we know smoking is dangerous for other reasons. There are even some studies that show that people who are highly physically active are less likely to be at risk for developing Parkinson's disease. So in general, the mean age of onset is in the early 60s, but as you know, that this can vary widely. People like Michael J. Fox obviously developed Parkinson's disease at a very young age, so we see people with Parkinson's disease that can be in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and older. So it's pretty variable. And Parkinson's also tends to affect more men than women. So both men and women are affected, but it's a bit more common in men. So what are the symptoms then? Well, because Parkinson's disease leads to this death of these particular cells in the midbrain, there's a chemical called dopamine that's not produced enough. So there's a lack of dopamine. And that leads to particular symptoms like a resting tremor, So people might notice that when your hand is at rest, it tends to shake a bit, but then when you go to use your hand, that tremor or that shakiness goes away. It's also associated with slowness of movement, slowness that's beyond slowness that's associated with normal aging. 
So the walking becomes slow, getting dressed might become slow, shaving, brushing your teeth. So regular activities in day-to-day life seem to be very slow. It's also associated with stiffness, so there can be some stiffness in the muscles. And then it's also associated with some walking imbalance problems. People notice their walking can become slow and the steps are shuffling and maybe the arms might not swing as much. And then Parkinson's is also associated with balance problems and falling, although these tend to occur later in the disease, after five, seven years or so. Of all those symptoms you mentioned, tremor might be the most instantly recognizable from afar. That tremor, is it something that is going to increase as the effects of Parkinson increase? In other words, do those things go in time where initially my hand tremor might be slight, but then over time it's going to increase? Or will that go up and down in a person's life if they have Parkinson's? Symptoms do become progressively worse over time, but fortunately there are medications that are very effective in treating the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. In fact, you know, Parkinson's is one of the few progressive neurological diseases in which there is a treatment for the symptom. So although there's no cure for Parkinson's disease, the medicines can effectively decrease the symptoms. Over time, however, the medicines are associated with some side effects and people can experience wearing off where the medicines seem to be less effective at certain times during the day, so they might experience fluctuations. At one point in the day, the tremor could be more bothersome, but at another point in the day, it's not so much. So that's sort of how things work in terms of the the variability. And then is that the same for all those symptoms I mentioned, tremor initially, but when we're talking about rigidity or slow? Yeah, I mean, those things can get worse over time, but most of those symptoms, the tremor, the rigidity, the bradykinesia, do improve with pharmacological management. So if medication can help address a lot of those symptoms, what then is the role of physical therapy for someone with Parkinson's disease? All right, great question. So we know from the literature, from the research that's been done in this area, that people with Parkinson's disease that exercise experience gains and improvements in everyday function. Things like walking and standing up from a chair and just general mobility can improve with physical therapy or with an emphasis on exercise. And that can manifest in greater ability to participate in everyday life, to travel, to continue with social activities that people are interested in doing, to continue with housework and yard work and those kinds of things. So in general, we know that people with Parkinson's do better when they exercise. There is some evidence in some of the animal studies that suggest a potential neuroprotective effect of exercise in that maybe exercise helps to slow down the progression of the disease, but that is in no way definitive, and and we don't have a good way to test that in people because we don't have a good way to measure the progression of the disease. But what we do know is that exercise improves daily function, it improves walking ability, it improves people's fitness levels, people's strength and flexibility, and that leads to an overall enhanced quality of life. If the basic takeaway from that is that someone who has Parkinson's disease should immediately begin an exercise program, for somebody who is either younger or just has less significant side effects, what would their exercise plan be like compared to somebody who might have more significant side effects? Right. So let me address that question in two parts. One is that 
people with Parkinson's don't tend to actually seek out physical therapy or aren't necessarily referred to physical therapy until the middle and later stages of the disease when they start to experience more problems, you know, more balance problems or more falling, etc. But what we really want and encourage is for people to come to a physical therapist early in the course of the disease. Although we can make a big difference in the middle and later stages, we can also make a big difference in the early stages. And in the early stages, we can take a more prevention approach and try to prevent the onset of some of the problems that we know emerge. So early on, we want to try to enhance that person's resources. We want to make sure they're as fit as possible and as active as possible and that they're doing the exercises that are necessary to try to prevent the onset of disability. So, for example, someone that was recently diagnosed with Parkinson's disease would benefit from a pretty intensive cardiovascular training program in which we make sure that they're training at a level that is going to stimulate an improvement in fitness so that they're working hard enough. You know, and this can be in many forms, can be walking very briskly. For others, it can be riding a stationary bike, for example. It doesn't have to be any one thing, but what the important piece is is that people are working hard enough to actually get a fitness effect or a training effect in their cardiovascular system. And we know that people with Parkinson's can do this. They're capable of doing it, and we see a benefit from this. We also know that people with Parkinson's disease benefit from a strengthening program. So early on, we would have people with Parkinson's disease training with weights, and this would be progressing over time so that we would progressively continue to challenge that person with the amount of weights that they're lifting or moving, for example. And there are specific muscles that we target in people with Parkinson's disease because there are certain muscles that seem to be more affected by the disease. So this is where physical therapists can help tailor those exercises to specifically meet the needs of people with Parkinson's disease. We also know that it's important to stretch, so a flexibility program to improve muscle length and joint mobility. This helps overcome some of the issues with stiffness and helps people maintain their mobility such that they can move easier. You mentioned targeting specific muscles. I want to go back to that. What are some of those muscles that you would specifically target? For strengthening exercises, we target some of the bigger extensor muscles in the body, like the muscles in the buttocks, so the gluteus maximus, and the muscles in the front of the thighs, or the quadriceps, the muscles in the calves, and the muscles in the back area. And we target these muscles because those are the muscles that are needed to hold people up against gravity. They keep people in a good posture, and those are the muscles that are needed for walking and for standing up out of a chair. And we find that by targeting these muscles, we can get improvements in function in these areas. I know that one of the problems related to Parkinson's disease, beyond Parkinson's disease itself, is the potential that it leads to a fall. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So... What are the preventive ways beyond exercise itself that you try and help someone with Parkinson's disease improve their balance? We know from studies that have been done that there are exercises that people with Parkinson's can do that seem to help balance. And we feel that this is important to do even before people notice a balance problem. What we don't have a lot of information on is the best ways to prevent falls or how effective the exercise is in preventing falls. There aren't many studies that have looked at this. 
There was a study that was published last year uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine that looked at the benefits of Tai Chi in improving balance for people with Parkinson's disease and in reducing falls. And in this study, they did show a benefit. And they showed that the Tai Chi seemed to help balance and seemed to reduce the number of falls. It's, you know, it's also plausible that other exercise programs that also challenge balance would also be effective in leading to a decrease in falls. But this is an area that needs additional attention. First, we need to better understand the mechanism underlying falls. It's very complex. And once we have a better understanding of the mechanism, we can probably do a better job in determining what the best treatment should be. But in general, it's important for people with Parkinson's to be active early on and to challenge their balance. And, you know, we hope that this decreases when falling begins to happen. So it may decrease the onset of falls and also hopefully the frequency of falls. Falls obviously are a concern for anyone as they age. If I take a average 70-year-old male and then an average 70-year-old male with Parkinson, does the individual with Parkinson have any different balance challenges than the typical individual, or at that point, do they become the same balance challenges? Well, we think they're different. The mechanism underlying the reason why people are falling is different in people with Parkinson's compared to people who don't have Parkinson's. In older people, we think there's a general decline in multiple systems that happen slowly over the course of time that can lead to subtle losses of balance and subtle changes of balance. But in Parkinson's, it's more severe than that. It's more prominent, and the way that people with Parkinson's disease fall and the frequency of falling and the reasons they fall differ. And we need to have a better understanding of that so that we can better target that. I should also say that in addition to exercise, there are other ways to try to prevent falling in terms of changing the way that people go about moving. Physical therapists are really good at trying to uh, teach people different ways of getting up out of a chair or walking or turning or some of the things that tend to provoke a fall so that people can learn different strategies to try to minimize falling. If the consistent theme is the importance of exercise and the importance of staying active, mm-hmm. and yet one of the challenges balance when you're working with an individual with Parkinson's disease who is farther along the line in terms of the impact of those side effects, how can that individual safely exercise when they have that balance problem? That's a great question. Then we have to be a little bit more creative with our exercise program to try to still allow somebody to exercise without risking falling. For example, you know, when you're trying to get a cardiovascular workout, it could be that somebody with Parkinson's disease could ride a recumbent stationary bicycle in which they're well supported by the chair that they're sitting in and they're still, you know, so that they're not going to fall while they're doing this exercise and they're able to pedal such that they would still be working hard enough to experience a fitness benefit. Whether it's tips to get in and out of a chair, whether it's something like that, are there any treatments for individuals with Parkinson's disease to help them navigate their daily life that you could describe just to give somebody an indication of what that treatment might look like beyond the more typical exercise things that are easier for us to imagine? People with Parkinson's disease tend to have a hard time doing things automatically, like it might be difficult to just all of a sudden stand up from a chair. But what a physical therapist would do is teach that person with Parkinson's what the critical elements are that make one successfully able to stand up from a chair. 
So you might teach someone, for example, first you've got to scoot forward. You've got to get your feet underneath you. You've got to lean forward enough. And then you've got to stand up against gravity. And so by working with people with Parkinson's disease and trying to teach them these strategies, the person can learn these strategies and then be able to implement them when they're at home trying to get out of their own chair, for example. You know, a lot about what a physical therapist would do is, for example, they might watch somebody move in bed. That person might say, well, I have difficulty moving in bed. It's very effortful and it's difficult for me to change positions at night. And the physical therapist could watch how they're doing it and suggest alternative ways to move to make that task easier. I might be reading between the lines here, but are there multitasking challenges for someone with Parkinson's disease? Absolutely. People with Parkinson's disease tend to have a lot of difficulty multitasking or dual tasking. So, for example, trying to walk and talk at the same time or trying to walk and carry something. And typically, we're able to walk and talk and not really think about it and, you know, the walking is fine. And we notice in people with Parkinson's disease, when they're performing another task, the walking seems to get worse. So, For some people, you know, it might be necessary to try not to do several things at the same time so that walking won't experience a decline like that. Or there might be, for example, if somebody's carrying something in their hands and that now becomes multitasking to try to walk and carry something and maintain your balance, it could be that somebody with Parkinson's carries something in a bag over their shoulder or using a backpack and then you don't have to really think about carrying something something, but you're still able to carry it, and that might then lead to improvements in walking. I imagine something like that can help to avoid falls. If I understand, if I have Mm -hmm. Parkinson's disease, and I understand that simply the act of carrying something across the room creates a multitasking exercise that might make me not walk as well, I now know that even if this thing isn't heavy, it isn't really throwing off my balance, that it's actually increasing my fall risk potentially, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's correct. Another thing I should mention is that people with Parkinson's disease do really well when they listen to music to try to help them walk. In Parkinson's, because there's not enough dopamine in the mid part of the brain, people lose what we call this internal go signal that helps regulate movement. So that means you don't really have to think about movement. It happens automatically. But if you lose that, you might be able to replace that internal go signal with an external go signal. And if you use something like music, you might be able to actually what we call entrain or lock on to that music to help guide your movements, like walking, for example. You know when you're running and you might have an iPod on and you're listening to music and you're not thinking about that music, but you're automatically running to the beat of that music. Your body tends to entrain to that beat. Well, in Parkinson's disease, we can use that to help with walking. So I might look at somebody's walking and then say, okay, I want you to listen to this music and I'll pick music at a certain cadence or a certain tempo. And then I'll ask the person with Parkinson's to try to walk to that music and try to keep that tempo. And they're generally very successful at doing that. And then if they're locking on to that tempo, it helps them take bigger steps and swing their arms because now they have this external trigger that's now guiding the movement. And that tends to make movement a bit easier. You don't have to think about the movement as much, and it leads to a better quality walking. 
earlier in the conversation, you mentioned Michael J. Fox, who was obviously an example of mm-hmm. being able to live with the effects of Parkinson's disease over a long period of time. Muhammad Ali is another famous case of someone with Parkinson's disease. You mentioned also Michael J. Fox had Parkinson's disease earlier than most individuals get it. Is there a typical Parkinson's disease case? And do these famous examples represent that case, or do they lead to misconceptions about Parkinson's disease? Parkinson's is very, very variable. So no two people with Parkinson's disease look the same. It manifests in such different ways in different people that it's difficult to have just one picture in mind. That being said, Parkinson's disease is actually part of a Parkinsonism, we call it. So Parkinsonism is when you look like you have Parkinson's symptoms, but it's not really Parkinson's disease. So, for example, there are certain medicines that might be toxic to the brain that can make one look like they have Parkinson's disease, but it would actually be considered a Parkinsonism because it's not really Parkinson's disease. It's really mimicking Parkinson's disease, but it's caused by the medicines. So Muhammad Ali, for example, I don't know what his specific circumstances are, but there are people who have sustained head injuries, you know, from blows to the head that may experience Parkinsonism because there are certain areas of the brain that are damaged due to the head injuries. Again, I don't know what his circumstances are, but there are people who might present with these symptoms that present with them for different reasons. The typical Parkinson's disease isn't really all that typical. It can affect 5 to 10% of people with Parkinson's disease are under the age of 40, which means that most of them, 90%, are over 40 with a mean age of onset in the early 60s. So you take a 40-year-old and an 80-year-old, and they're just at a different place in their life in general with a different set of circumstances, and then these symptoms can manifest differently and affect them differently. So it's quite variable. Recognizing that at the very beginning of this conversation, you said we don't know exactly what causes Parkinson's disease. There is so much focus right now on head trauma, whether it's concussions in sports, whether it's head trauma related to our members in the military. Mm-hmm. Is there any strong indication that that kind of trauma might lead to this specific neurological disorder, or does that seem unlikely? It seems you can have head trauma that can lead to symptoms that mimic Parkinson's disease. But it's not Parkinson's disease per se because Parkinson's disease is when that specific area in the brain, those neurons die off and then you lose dopamine. In a head injury situation, you might have damage to those areas of the brain, but you don't have that cell loss and you don't have that lack of dopamine. It's just that the areas of the brain that are affected in Parkinson's, that general area, can also be affected with head trauma. So they're very different. It's not that head trauma is causing Parkinson's disease. It might be causing some of the symptoms that look like Parkinson's disease. I'll let you pick the time span exactly, but how much has physical therapy for people with Parkinson's disease evolved over the years, whether it's the last 10 years, 20 years? Has there been rapid changes in the physical therapy approach to treating individuals with Parkinson's disease? It's changed very rapidly. I would say a decade ago, two decades ago, we had very few studies that even examined the benefits of physical therapy for people with Parkinson's disease. We really didn't appreciate or understand if this was beneficial at all. Now I would say we have upwards of 40 to 50 randomized controlled trials that demonstrate that people with Parkinson's disease who participate in physical therapy experience better function, better quality of life, better strength, better fitness levels than those people who don't. 
So we've learned a lot, and we've also learned that it seems that people with Parkinson's disease can do more than we thought. They're capable of exercising more intensely. In fact, there's some evidence to suggest that the more intense exercise might be more beneficial. And we've also learned that exercise is not harmful. You know, when we see these studies, there are very few adverse events. So the benefits significantly outweigh the risks. You know, this is something that we've learned a lot about, and now we think that exercise should be part of the standard care for people with Parkinson's disease. And we encourage people with Parkinson's disease to go see a physical therapist early in the course of the disease so they can get a good start, so they can get an exercise program early that meets their needs, that they can be followed over the course of time. Just like people regularly see their neurologists every few months or every six months to monitor their Parkinson's symptoms and to see if they need an adjustment in medications, we think that it's very beneficial for people with Parkinson's disease to see a physical therapist early to get some treatment and then to follow up with them periodically to go back and say, how am I doing? You know, how does my walking look? How's my balance? Do I need a change in my exercise program based on the things that are happening now? And if that happened over the course of the time, that could result in better outcomes. That's one of the things that we need to study is the longer-term effects of exercise. We know a lot about the short-term effects of exercise, but now the research is looking more at trying to understand what is the real benefit in terms of reducing disability if someone with Parkinson's exercises over a year or two years or longer, and that's where the focus of research is right now. Short of a cure from the physical therapy perspective, is that the thing you most would like to know the result of now, or is there something else you would like to know? Yeah, one of the big questions in the field, I think, is if you took two people at the beginning when they're first diagnosed and one exercised and one didn't, how would their rate of progression look over time, over a long time, two years and three years and five years? We want more evidence to show so that we can learn whether exercise will decrease the rate of disability. And that's something that would be exciting. You know, the other thing we want to know is, does it actually slow down the course of the disease? Is there any neuroprotective effects of exercise? Is it doing anything to sort of protect those sick cells leading to a slower death? In terms of medical management, in general, the drugs that are used to treat Parkinson's disease treat the symptoms. We don't have a definitive drug that is thought to slow the course of the disease. You know, there are some drugs that, well, potentially it looks like there might be a small effect, but by and large, there's not a drug that actually is agreed upon to slow the course of the disease. So maybe exercise is the medicine that we've been waiting for. Maybe exercise could play a significant role in the management of the disease as we do these studies and as we learn more about how much of a benefit people can actually realize. For an individual with Parkinson, or maybe more importantly for their family member, you've already underlined the importance of early physical therapy, of early physical activity, the importance of exercise. Do you have any other parting advice? There's a lot of hope. People should be optimistic. Parkinson's disease can be fairly well managed with medications, and exercise should play a significant role in the management of Parkinson's disease. And people can do pretty well for quite a long time, and they can be engaged in the things that they want to be engaged in, and they can travel and be involved in recreational activities that they want to be involved in. And we encourage people to participate to the fullest extent in life, and I think people with Parkinson's disease can realize that. That's the hope.
We have information on our website, moveforwardpt.com. Beyond that, where else can people turn if they want information? Well, we actually have an exercise helpline that people can call. And this is a helpline that is funded by the American Parkinson's Disease Association. And this was established to try to help people with Parkinson's disease and their family members learn more about exercise and learn more about the benefits of physical therapy. So if people are interested, they can call our toll-free line at one 866 1688 That's 1-888-606-1688. People can also reach us via email at rehab, that's R-E-H-A-B, at B-U, B-U as in Boston University, dot E-D-U. Excellent. Terry Ellis, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. To learn more about Parkinson's disease and the role of physical therapy, including a video highlighting treatment by a physical therapist and a detailed physical therapist guide to the disease, go to moveforwardpt.com. I'm Jason Bellamy. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.